0: bugs. They suck. I've tried so many different sprays and found that those alone just don't work. Thankfully, I've discovered Farnham's no-fly zone to help rid my barn of those annoying, filthy, disease-carrying flies, ticks, and mosquitoes. With Farnham's three-stage approach of block, repel, reduce, which means using different products for different scenarios, you can set yourself up for success. So I physically block flies from my horse with a supermask, repel with the Endure Sweat Resistant Fly Spray, which is my personal favorite and is great for summer in Florida, and then I actually reduce the number of flies I'm dealing with by using their Feed-Through Fly Control Simplify in my barn. To learn more and start your own no-fly zone, go to Farnam.com, that's F-A-R-N-A-M.com, and download a free copy of the Horse Owner's Guide to Creating Your Own No-Fly Zone. Again, that's F-A-R-N-A-M.com. Farnam our partner in flight control. everyone welcome back to another episode of the ride this is Jillian Nicole is out of town so it'll just be me on this episode um, we have a very exciting guest for you who is has really an incredible story that I'm so excited for you all to hear um, I'd like to wel- welcome Felipe Mazzetti who is the youngest person to cross the Americas on horseback uh, I'm gonna let him fill you in on the rest of his story because I don't think that I could even even know where to start. So um, thank you so much for being here today, Felipe. Why don't you you know, kind of introduce yourself and tell our listeners your story?
1: For sure. Thank you, Jillian, for the invitation to share a bit of my story. Um, so just like you said, I'm the youngest person in the world to cross the Americas on the back of a horse. I rode more than 25,000 kilometers across 12 nations over the course of eight years from Fairbanks, Alaska, all the way to the southernmost uh, city on the planet, Ushuaia, Argentina. It's uh, in an, on a little island on the bottom of, uh, of Argentina. And um, I started, it was three different journeys. The first one was from Canada to Brazil, and then I did Brazil to the southern tip of Argentina. And two years ago, I did the final stretch from Alaska back to Calgary, uh, where I was welcomed by the, the Stampede as the Grand Marshal that year. I was white-hatted by the mayor, and it was an awesome experience.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it. So what inspired you to start this, your first journey? You know, what what was the inspiration behind that? So it was
1: like a a very gradual dream that kind of grew up with me. When I was a little kid, uh, my dad used to read me Chifley's Ride, which is a book that tells the story of the most epic long ride of all time, Aim Chifley, a Swiss school teacher who traveled from Buenos Aires, Argentina, all the way to New York City in 1925, with two Criollo horses. And um, I don't know why, but it just captivated my imagination so much. I remember uh, being at my family farm in Brazil, riding my little horse, imagining I was the guy, you know, crossing all those countries and swimming rivers with crocodiles. And when I was nine years old, my parents ended up moving to Canada. I grew up in Ontario, rodeoing. I used to tie down rope. And, uh, and then I went to, off to school for journalism. And it was just something very strong. It was like, man, what if I, uh, what if I followed that dream? Like, what if I went on my own long ride and then used journalism to kind of pay for the trip as my profession and and also share it with people. And uh, and then I just built a war room. I spent two years acquiring everything I needed, from the knowledge to um, to the horses, to the pack saddle, to my riding saddle, to all of my equipment. Everything was sponsored. And when I got everything I needed on July eighth of twenty twelve, I left the Calgary Stampede.
0: So when you were preparing, how did you even begin to pick the horses or horse for that journey? I feel like that takes a really special animal to be able to, to do that with you.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I spoke to long riders around the world who were just instrumental, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You got to learn from people that actually did it and were successful at it. So uh, an example, Gunter, who's an amazing long rider from uh, Germany, helped me out a lot. Bernice Sandy from the US, uh, Pedro from Brazil. And they taught me everything, what kind of saddle to use, what kind of saddle pad to use, how many kilometers to ride a day, how many, you know, how many days to ride, how many days to rest and what I ca- what kind of horse I would need, you know, for a long ride, You want a horse that's over five years old, so you know their bones are mature, their muscles and their mind as well. Uh, you don't want a horse that has had some kind of uh, previous injury, you know what I mean, because that could flare up on a ride like this. Uh, any breed will do it. You want a horse that's obviously strong and fit, and if it's not fit, you need to be able to go out there and ride five kilometers the first day, you know, six the next, and very gradually get them up to that 30 kilometer a day mark, which is what I was riding. Uh, but ultimately, it was kind of the universe that picked the horses because they were given to me. Uh, so my two horses came from two ranches in montana uh, stan weaver uh quarter horses stan weaver was the uh, president of the quarter horse association a couple years ago down in the u.s he gave me my for, my horse frenchie uh frenchman's guy and um for those that know uh, quarter horse breeding and then copper spring ranch also out of montana gave me my second horse bruiser he's a dash for cash those are the horses that i started uh, my journey when i got to the southern part of the u.s i was given a third horse a mustang named dude from the Taos Pueblo Aboriginal people. And they, he helped me out so much. Those Mustangs are just so rustic. They're like little, little tanks and uh, he was amazing for the ride.
0: Wow. I can't even imagine having, you know, one horse and yourself to take care of. So you were out there and, and how did you take care of yourself and, and the horses, you know, what did, what did you eat? What did you feed them? How did, how did that work?
1: Yes. Yeah, so that was the toughest, you know, is not only taking care of yourself, but you've got three babies that, you know, rely on you 24 hours a day. Uh, as you know horses you know it's hard enough to take care of your horse when you had a ranch when there's running water and, and a grain bucket and, and you know a stack of of the hay uh, but when you're out there by yourself crossing deserts and mountains it's just you know you the animals and God and it was just so hard feed um, you know I would allow them to graze for two hours in the morning two hours at night and then I would take the saddles off at lunch and let them graze for about an hour uh, but the hardest part was finding water uh, there, were, there were portions of the journey where I I couldn't find water for them. They'd go to sleep with no water. I'd have to get up the next day and, and just literally go to war and find water because, as you know, colic um, is a, a ginormous problem for us in the horse world today. And, and one of those factors is when horses don't drink enough and, um, and they're so dehydrated. So uh, that was the hardest part. But I learned I a learned trick of the trait from Bernice Sandy, who I kind of mentioned here earlier, an amazing long rider. She taught me to always carry uh, cooking oil uh, with me wherever I was. And uh, that kind of helps to like to kind of um, get uh, your horse's intestine, which is super long uh, and sometimes can become dry when they're just eating all day, having no water. Uh, it brings some moisture to that and allows for them not to colic. So I always carried cooking oil with me, had a big syringe. And if I didn't have water, I would dump it down their throats. It's also great to put in their feet. and makes the horse's coats very shiny and gives them a lot of energy. So different people will use it as well. Um, kind of like an extra little um for their animals.
0: Yeah, that's it's funny that, you know, that's something that I hear so many people do just with their horses at home and, and the fact that you were able to use it in such a different way, but to do such a similar thing, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so did you have any problems? I mean, I'm sure you did, but with with your horses, did they, you know, have lameness issues or get sick or anything like that? What What was that like?
1: Yeah. So uh, obviously tons of problems, but the major ones were uh, my horse, Bruiser, colic in Central America. I woke up one morning. And a super nice rancher was like, I woke up at six and fed your horses corn. I'm like, corn? I'm like, oh no! Like down in Central America, they use corn a lot uh, for feed. It's cheaper and easier to, to get. But as you know, you know, you can't just give them corn one day. It's uh, you know, a recipe for for disaster. So sure enough, he called it. Uh, but luckily, luckily, I had some Benamine with him. I was able to. Um, you know, to give it to him and he was okay and he was able to go to the bathroom and finally got out of it. Uh, My horse Frenchie was hit by a truck in Southern Mexico, which was just a terrible moment of the journey, probably the worst moment of my life. Um, I didn't know if he was going to survive, you know, if he had broken something, but thankfully he was okay. We had to stitch him and he was all cut up, but uh, he survived and we were able to continue. And then I had another major issue with uh, my Mustang dude. Uh, He fell into an old cattle guard um in Central America and ended up cutting up his front right leg pretty bad um down to the bone I didn't know if he was gonna you know be able to continue but again luckily we were able to take care of him and doctor him and kind of wait until he was better and we were all able to continue again
0: that's crazy I I just still can't imagine doing that for how long were you how long was your original journey supposed to be
1: So the first journey I thought it was going to take about a year and a half to two years and it ended up taking two years and a half almost.
0: And, but you went, you were gone for a total of eight years over the span Yeah, the
1: whole, yeah, the, all three journeys amounted to eight years.
0: Wow. That is, that's, I guess you just kind of got used to living that, that lifestyle, but so kind of walk me through a day in the life of you being on that journey. What What was it like? I mean, I'm assuming you were out there all by yourself and, you know, what kind of technology did you have? How did, how did you survive, I guess?
1: Yeah. So a day in the life, you wake up early, uh, crack at dawn, uh, horses are usually high lined, put the hobbles on them, let them graze for a bit while you take down camp, Uh, make yourself something to eat quick. I would eat, you know, peanut butter with bread or some uh, beef jerky, peanuts just things that were easy to, to eat and kind of gave you energy uh take down tents once the horses kind of ate for a bit i would uh, uh saddle everyone up which could take a while you know you got your pack horse you gotta organize everything in the packs out make sure it weighs the same and then tie your your hitch and by the time you go it's already been about two hours and you get going and then i would ride 30 kilometers in a day so i would do about um, 10 kilometers in the morning that's about two hours, stop for 15 minutes, half an hour, let the horses rest, kind of eat a granola bar, and then go for another 10 kilometers, stop for lunch, take uh, saddles off, let everyone rest and kind of recoup, and then do the final 10 kilometers. Find a place, if there's a house, uh, a ranch, you always ask for help. That's the best part of the journey, the kindness of humanity. Uh, I always had one, two, seven angels along my path every day to help me out. And when there's no one, uh, you kind of look for a place where there's water for the horses, a good place to camp. Um, And then set up camp and fall asleep because they're so tired and then the next day do the same thing Uh, in terms of technology I uh, I had my phone with me. Uh, I was filming everything. So I had a couple cameras GoPros uh, my computer I was writing for the Toronto Star and several blogs uh, kind of during the journey and then I had a uh, backpack that a solar power solar powered panel on it that I could charge everything and a lot of different batteries when I got someone's house or a ranch you know just steal their electricity and and charge everything before you go again
0: yeah that's wow so you were relying on you know strangers basically throughout your trip what what was that like I feel like that was probably a eye-opening experience
1: yeah it was the best part of the journey you know it was the most special I've, I've uh, been able to sit down at the dinner table with drug lords and politicians and people that had everything and people that had nothing and and you kind of really learn that uh, our skin color may change the color of our flags uh, how much money we have in the bank but we're all inherently the same you know when you're in those homes um, you just realize people just want to love and be loved and they just want the best for their families. And uh, you also learn that the horse is a common language that breaks down barriers. You know that was kind of like the the glue of everything, and and uh, and the magnet were those horses. You know, because the first thing when I got to those ranches or those homes, I would ask, "Hey, would I be able to rest my horses here today?" And uh, those people, a lot of them that had horses, they were looking at the animals first, and they wanted to help them. And then all of a sudden chatting and putting the horses up somewhere in a pasture or somebody learning about me and and all of a sudden I'm in their home and you know we're hugging and kissing and they don't want you to leave the next day you become a family uh literally with these people and and that was uh by far the most special part of the journey all these 12 nations get to eat dinner and lunch and and get to know these people literally in their homes is just so awesome
0: yeah I can imagine the, the stories that you heard that's that's a really really cool experience I'm I'm sure so, what were some of the most valuable lessons that you learned? Well, I like I, I you probably can't even name all of them, but what what were some major things that you took from that journey that that you want to share with, you know, the rest of the world?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think uh, one of the big ones is the kindness of humanity. Like I've just said, I think sometimes the media sells us this, uh, this portrayal of of the world that is not not true. You know, you watch, it's just negative. Um, negative news the entire time and when you go out there and put yourself out like the way I did, traveling 30 kilometers a day and having to literally like ask for help and str- to strangers that have never met you before, you realize how kind people are. Another one is like just how how far my limit is you know i really tested my limit out there every single day and and you begin to realize that you can do whatever the hell you want like before i left people told me that this was impossible that i was going to die that my horses are going to die that they just they couldn't fathom that someone of my age would be able to go on one of the 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 hardest journeys ever recorded and and what you start to learn is that if you're willing to put in the work and you're willing to plan it i always say strategic planning is the difference between success and failure um, nothing is impossible. And today I think I'm living proof of that. And, and my books and my documentary, that's a a huge theme. it is that if whatever your dream is, whatever your purpose, whatever your project, um, you know, if you're willing to put in that work, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. Um,
0: that's, I honestly, I'm kind of speechless. It's just such a cool experience that, um, I think it's so. You know, you were documenting all of it. Tell us about that, about your books and your documentary. How did you put it all together into one piece?
1: Yeah. So I studied journalism in school. You know, I love storytelling, and I very quickly realized that if I was to sell this dream, because uh, it's one thing to sell an iPhone or a computer or a shirt. It's it's real. You you show it someone. You say buy this shirt. But when you're selling a dream, it's non-existent. You know. So. I realized that I had to create a product, and because I'm a journalist, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sell this documentary. Like someone, a production company is gonna buy the product, with, which is a documentary. And I'll film it for them. So um, I, I managed to convince a production company out of Nashville to buy the project and i filmed everything for them they armed me with all the cameras and the equipment and the logistics you know i would send them the cards uh, once they were full they would send them back to me through fedex in the middle of like honduras and guatemala um, and then the other part of it were the books as well and these articles that i got to write for different publications so uh now i have three books out uh, the first one is called long ride home uh, that tells the first part of the journey from Canada to Brazil. Uh, it, w- it became a bestseller on Amazon and also in Brazil. It's, it's printed in Portuguese and English. Um, I have my second book called Long Ride to the End of the World. That's also a bestseller, and that tells the story of my ride from Brazil to the southern tip of Argentina. And now later on this month, I'm going to release my third book, Last Long Ride, which is about the last long ride, obviously from Alaska back to Calgary. And the documentary just came out. Uh, We've been going to film festivals around the world. We've been to festivals in Canada, um, uh, the U.S., uh, India, and it's uh, picked up four awards already. We're super happy about, uh, you know, the critics have been very kind as well. Um, uh, You can kind of Google it, uh, The Long Rider, it's called. We've gotten some amazing reviews, and we just released it in Toronto. It's had a seven-day run at Cineplex, Young & Dundas, some sold-out events, which were amazing. Now we go to Calgary, Alberta for seven days. It'll be at the... um, Um, old markets, old market um, in the downtown core. It will start uh, running uh, Friday now. I don't know when this is coming out, but it'll start running on July 1st and it'll run to July 8th. And then on July 8th, it comes out across Canada from coast to coast in 17 cities and towns.
0: Wow. That's awesome. So I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm so excited. We'll definitely have to link I'll link all of that down below so you guys can check out everything. Yeah. So I just, I feel like I have so many questions. I don't even know. (laughs) Um, Just take,
1: uh, just take the opportunity to, for all all the people listening here, you know, we're against like blockbuster films at these theaters, like Elvis and Top Gun. So, you know, it's, this is a grassroots project. It's a a small documentary. Um, It's going to be on super channel Amazon prime later on in the year, but if you can, uh, you know, send it out to family members or people who you think, uh, would enjoy the film, please do because it helps us tremendously. Um, and uh, yeah, so Jillian will put all the information here underneath.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, let me think. Um, what is something that that you wish that you could have told yourself before you started your first journey? uh
1: what is something that I could have told myself? I think I would have told myself to prepare for the end. Um, when I finished that first journey, I lived the worst six months of my life. Like I went into a terrible depression, anxiety, uh, reoccurring nightmares, like for several reasons, but one of them being, I, I completely lost purpose to my life. You know, like I, a huge vacuum is created when you spent your entire life dreaming of something and then you spent years fighting for it. And then you spent uh, two years and a half fighting to, to live it and get there. And then you get there and it's like, now what, you know? So, I think I would have told myself to prepare better
0: um, for the
1: end of that first journey for sure.
0: Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I'm sure you had an kind of an expectation, but I'm sure, you know, you, how can you even prepare for what you were going to face? <laughs> what Absolutely. are some of the, you know, craziest or, you know, most exciting things that you came across that you on any of your journeys, you know, <laughs>
1: yeah. So, like, like I said, a lot of hurdles, a lot of problems, a lot of. It's like it's truly an action film, you know. From grizzly bears on the last journey, I was crossing uh, three grizzlies a day. Grizzlies coming into camp, having to like throw horses into rivers to to run away from bears. Um, drug lords. I'd stay in the home of a drug lord in Central America with his cartel. Everyone heavily armed. You know, AK-47s, semi-automatic weapons. He lived in a compound, a mansion. Kids as young as nine years old. Uh, packing heat. He had a, a zoo in his house, um, you know, across the Chihuahua Desert, which is one of the largest deserts in the world, across the Rocky Mountains and the Andes. Uh, so a lot of uh, a lot of exciting moments, a lot of scary moments, a lot of beautiful moments. I met my fiance on my second long ride uh, to a Argentina, literally asked for help um, at her parents' house and, and stole the farmer's daughter. And today we're engaged uh, to, to get married. So that was the biggest uh, present that this journey gave me. So, yeah, a lot of exciting
0: things. That's such a cool way to meet your, you know, your fiance. That's definitely a unique right. meet story. So did she end up going on the journeys with you after you met? Or how did you maintain that relationship? <laughs>
1: Yeah, for sure. So I invited her, her out to come ride with me and she came for a month and then she ended up being there when I arrived in Ushuaia as well. And then we kind of had the long distance relationship for a bit. And my last long ride from Alaska to Ushuaia, this amazing family from Claire's home Alberta, the Akins, lent us this motorhome So we could have a support vehicle on that journey and Clara got to come out for the entirety of it and keep us safe uh, in, amongst the bears. And we were able to carry feed for the horses. You know, it's a lot of uh, muskeg up there. You, When I was studying the route, I would always be like, why is it such large extensions of nothing? It's, it's kind of hard to understand. But when you get up there, you realize it's just water. So there's no ranches, there's no farms. We're literally going from like Fairbanks to Whitehorse, which is like a thousand kilometers of nothing. So it was so important to have that support vehicle to carry water, feed for the horses. And then, you know, for the next stretch from uh, when we left Whitehorse and got to Northern uh, BC, again, nothing, Uh, just kilometers and kilometers of just trees. And they just cut a hole in the middle, which is the Alaska Highway. So she was just uh, instrumental to that journey. and It was just so cool to to get to share that with her. And and then when I got to Calgary, I I asked her in marriage.
0: Wow. That's, that's incredible. Um, and you know, they always say that you have to travel with someone before, you know, you know, and right. obviously that, that was one way to make sure that you guys.
1: Oh, it, was a, get... <laughs> it was a huge but. test, right? It was, it was either we kill each other or we fall deeper in love. So yeah, for sure. It was a, it was a huge test to our relationship.
0: So what does your horse life and just your life look like now? You know, how do you come back from eight years of, of, traveling on horseback and settling back into your regular society
1: yeah it's really tough you know and like i said that first that first journey couldn't have shown me uh you know more strongly how hard it was to to readapt to you know you become a a, a part of the herd literally with these animals right like very few people will live as intensely as i did with horses because we When we have horses today, we have a disconnect for them because we go to ride them at the barn or even up there at your house, you turn them on at your pasture and you're in your bedroom. I was sleeping next to these horses, eating next to them, traveling with them. Like literally, there was no disconnect. It was just always um, uh, these four beings together. So, you know, and the moment I I took that saddle off for the last time, boom, that connection was cut. And that was the hardest part, um, you know, for me. But I think going on those other two, uh, long rides kind of helped me bring myself together I think the horse was my therapy uh, on that that second ride to ashua it really I was in bad shape when I started that and and by the time i finished you know I had men in my heart and my soul and and I think it was a lot of it was thanks to the horse and um, and today they're you know they're the most special beings in my life I pay all my bills thanks to the horses everything I've created has been thanks to the horse and I continue to eat thanks to them uh but you know I'm back to normal life where you know my horses are in Brazil I get to ride when I go back and then I have friends here that I kind of, you know, get to go and rope with and hang out. And eventually I would like to have my own acreage and, and have my own horses to, to rope and, 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 you know, have fun with them or go on trail rides and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. So I'm sure, you know, while you were out there with, with those horses, you, and as you said, you formed a, such a unique bond with them. What is yeah. something that you learned about the horse that, you wouldn't be able to learn unless you were on that journey. Um, I think just how powerful
1: they are. You know what I mean? It's unbelievable. There'd be some of those mountains out there that I'd be like, you know, we're not going to make it. Like, And I would be like holding on their tails uh, while they dragged me up these like switchbacks and, uh, and they always made it, you know, they always, they always crossed the, the, the hardest um, hurdles that could have been thrown at us and, and um ultimately i think that's the biggest lesson it's just how powerful they are and 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 also how powerful they are uh in terms of of bringing energy and good to our lives you know um as i'm sure you know and everyone listening that that have horses they're just they're such a powerful being and they can change our days. You could be having the worst day in the world and you go out there to see your horse and ride and, and all of a sudden everything changes and, and they require us to be there. And I think there's so, you know, there, there's so few things in the world that a lot that, that requires to be hundred percent attentive and there. like, you can drive and text or, you know, you can cook and do your makeup, but when you're on the back of a horse, you have to be there, you know, and you have to guide that animal. Otherwise you're screwed for several reasons. Um, so that's really cool it's my therapy it's my way of connecting to God it's my church um, you know so the horse is everything to me
0: yeah I can imagine so do you still have those three horses that you went on the journey with are they in Brazil or where where did they you know go after the journey
1: yeah, so when I got to Brazil, I retired. My three kids, Frenchie, Bruiser, and Dude, and uh, Frenchie's still there causing trouble, breaking fences, and giving my dad a run for his money. My dad takes care of them I had our family uh, ranch down there. It's uh, two hours outside of Sao Paulo. And then the other journeys, each I cross each country with its own horse, and then when I would get to the border, the horse would go back uh, to its original owner. And then on the last journey from Alaska to Calgary, I had the amazing opportunity to ride two wild horses. Uh, from the Okanagan Valley, and uh, they're just so hardy, so amazing, and uh, it was just an honor to be able to ride those horses.
0: What was that like, you know, when you say wild, were they completely untouched, or or how did that, just tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, for sure, so one of them, Smoky, a grade that I rode was extremely wild, he had had someone on his back uh, once or twice, and the round pen he had packed into the mountains once, but literally the first time I got on him, it was like, I'm going to die. Uh, you know, he didn't know how to stop. He didn't know how to turn. He didn't know he wouldn't let you get on him. Um, so that was a huge learning curve. I'd never worked with a wild horse before. Like the Mustang that I was given on the first journey was completely, you know, uh, trained. So uh, this was was a very um, hard moment for me. I didn't have much time. And uh, I had the guidance of uh, Aaron Stokaya who's an amazing... Um, man who has trained these horses from a very early age, from the uh, Osoya's uh, native band up there. And uh, he kind of guided me and taught me and helped me uh, train this horse. And then the second horse... Uh, Mac was from a fellow long rider Jim McCrae so he was already trained and that ended up helping a lot as well for especially for the beginning of the journey and by the end of it you know Smokey was a totally different horse and and had a lot of kilometers under him and was bomb proof and my fiance actually got to ride him uh, coming into Calgary which is a major city and that was a true testament of okay he's broke now you know he's good to go
0: yeah that's definitely one way to get him broke (laughs) take him on a cross multiple country trip. Um, so what was it like, you know, you start when you started out and he Smokey wasn't used, you know, he had never done that before. So what, what was it like watching him kind of take that in and and grow and, and get used to that lifestyle?
1: So it was awesome, like all these long rides, you know, I've been able to to watch these horses mature under me. It's a very natural manner to work with a horse, you know, like the old timers will say, wet saddle blanket. That's, that's the best cure for any horse, you know. Um, but this ride allows them to see everything. Like, you know what I mean? You're exposing these animals to bridges and towns and cities and fire and rain and tarps and you name it. Like they're seeing everything. So not only do you see these horses um, mature physically like they are so muscular by the end of this journey and he so healthy and their their culture is so shiny but you also see their minds uh, and with Smokey it was amazing because he was the I guess the one that kind of went from being almost completely wild to uh, a trained horse riding through Calgary. Uh, by the end of this, on my fiance, who's not a uh, you know a huge cowgirl and not very experienced with horses, she can ride, but you know she she's not someone that you know is going to be turning barrels uh, at the Calgary Stampede. So that was a huge testament, and it was amazing. I was so proud of him, you know, to see. You know how frustrating it was to start with him in a round pen and and having to not be able to stop him to then you know ride him into the Calgary stampede and through a major city uh, was just amazing and, and that's what it's all about. you know I don't do this for money or or for ribbons or or for uh, for for um for trophies. I, I do this because I love it. it's a beautiful way to meet people and see the world and uh, ultimately those are the big presents you know to see that horse come into his own and become a sturdy animal is amazing
0: yeah. It's that is. It's, I'm sure it was such a cool thing to watch watch him develop over the time yeah. that you were
1: out. Like a proud dad. That's for sure. That's the word I was like trying to look for. I was like a proud father.
0: <laughs> I can I can only imagine. I mean, that's I I'm proud of my horse when he just does something so minuscule in the arena. I can't <laughs> I can't
1: yeah. imagine
0: taking that. I mean, that's that is truly like raising a a kid. Um, Do you have anything planned in the future? Are you going to do any more long rides or or what is that something that you would want to do again?
1: Uh, No, you know, like I, I, I always say this was my last long ride. I never say never. Right. I don't know what's going to happen in 10 years from now, but um, you know, the suffering was real and I really value mental health. And I could see that if I continue this, I may not, you know, be all there and I, I don't have kids. I'd like to have a family. I'd like to be there for my children and, And uh, so, you know, I was kind of like, okay, I'm I'm blessed to be alive. Like it's a miracle that I'm alive today after everything I've done. So, Let's uh, hang out the old saddle and, and, you know, just go on short trail rides with a beer at the end of the day. Uh, my ultimate goal is uh, to have my own travel show. Like I'd like to have a, an Anthony Bourdain style show. But instead of uh, showing culture uh, through food, I'd like to show culture through ranching and farming and Western heritage and the horse. So I'd like to travel to Mongolia and show their culture and, you know, uh, Europe and Latin America. So that's going to be the next step.
0: Well, I would watch that. That sounds like a great show. Awesome. There we go. We got one viewer. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's count me awesome. in. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's it's just such an incredible story. I feel like I have things that I am missing. You know, is there anything else that you want to tell our our listeners that uh, that you learned or about about your experience?
1: Nah, just uh, give your horses a carrot for me tonight and a pat and uh, smell their fur, you know, because they're not going to be here forever. And uh, any moment that you can get out there and, and, and ride them and just or whatever, just feed them, just be around them. Take advantage of that because that's what life's all about, you know. And these, like I said, these animals have such a positive impact in our lives. And sometimes we take that for granted. And I know we all have busy days and and, you know, it goes from Christmas to Christmas again. But this journey was just um, a huge Uh, learning experience about what's real and it's not material things it's not money it's not cars it's not clothing it's our family the people we love and the animals we love so take advantage of this moment that we have with them because it's going to go by really quickly
0: yeah i love that that's such a great message for everyone so where can our listeners find you on social media so you can find me yeah, for sure. So on Instagram at Felipe Massetti, my name is super
1: complicated. So I'll spell it out. F I L I P E M A S E T T I, or you can follow the Instagram for the film as well. It's called the long rider film. Um, and yeah, I just, I'd love to connect with you guys. My books are out on Amazon, uh, long ride home, long rides, the end of the world. And uh, very soon last long ride. And please, 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 if you can come out to watch the film, like I said, it's going to be in 17 cities across Canada from coast to coast uh, starting July 8th. As of July 1st, it'll be on a seven-day run in Calgary. If you have friends in those cities and towns, please send them the link. You can find it on Cineplex. Just uh, search The Long Rider on their website, and I'm sure you're going to be inspired by the film.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and telling us you know, just a, a little bit about your experience and your journey, and I think everyone can learn so much from from you from you so thank you
1: you so much yelling thank you for your time and thanks for allowing me to share my story with your listeners
0: for tuning into the ride podcast we hope you enjoyed this episode and please be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts follow horse and rider magazine on social media and find us at horse and rider.com if you guys have any questions or comments please be sure to hit us up at horse and rider at equine network.com we want to hear from you guys and if you like what you're listening to be sure to leave us a review on itunes